with these ongoing events, which the world seems to believe stem from the death of Mr. George Floyd, but our communities know that this stemmed from the abuse of power and position of some police that has been directed to our people since 1704 when the slave patrol was created to police slaves. Although this supposedly ended long ago, many who pledged to protect and serve remain to carry that same mentality that those past patrollers had, whether it be from their general dislike of people of color or inherited family beliefs that we are beneath them. My belief is that with or without the knowledge of exactly who we are, our very being, our very presence, reeks of a power that's both intimidating and alluring. A power that can't be explained but has a strong presence. A power that's either accepted or feared, loved or hated. A power that comes from and is of our God, the true most high God. And of course, devils despise this. Now we know about our fallen brothers and sisters, men and women, and unfortunately children like Elton Sterling, Freddie Gray, Natasha McKinney, Walter Scott, Mike Brown, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Rakia Boyd, Sean Bell, Latanya Haggerton, Sandra Bland, Brianna Taylor. Although I can go on and on, I'm stopping here because as I speak, my spirit is getting vexed and depressed and my thoughts are far from just. I think about these injustices as well as the injustices that aren't spoken of, like the Opelousas Massacre in Opelousas, Louisiana, the Scottsboro Boys in Scottsboro, Alabama, the Groveland Four in Lake County, Florida, the Central Park Five in Manhattan, New York, and countless numbers of other cases known and hidden. I couple this with a brother like Stephon Clark, 22 years old, who was shot in his grandmother's backyard by Sacramento police. A total of 20 rounds was fired. He was struck with eight bullets. Six of them were in his back. We all know the story. And if you don't, you need to go back and look it up not take into account that someone like Dylan Roof, 21 years old, who sat in a historic black church for an entire Bible study, and towards the end, when everyone was praying, he opened fire, killing nine, including the pastor, who was also a state rep. Not only was he peacefully and gently captured in Shelby, North Carolina, an arresting officer even hosted his weapon when approaching him. They fed him a combo from Burger King before questioning him. Even our president, as usual, went to Twitter stating, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, which is a quote from 1967 by a former Miami police chief 
Walter E. Haley. And it's no question as to how race relations were during the 60s. That 1967 statement was geared towards blacks because of the race riots of 1967. Headley went as far as to say, we don't mind being accused of police brutality. And the way it looks to me, many in law enforcement today feel the same way and have a president to back them up. With emotions running so high, with the true colors of friends, co-workers, athletes, and public figures coming out, there's an undiscussed uncertainty that's lingering. Handshakes have went to head nods. Conversations are forced by many, but like myself, they are cut short or avoided altogether. The Bible states in the NLT version, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And that comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. And I truly believe this. But I also believe that we must have discernment so we don't entertain demons and devils unknowingly. Normally, I try to lead off each episode with a message, something uplifting and inspiring. But my spirit at this moment leads me to nothing extraordinary. My spirit has given me one basic word that at this time we must all fall back on. Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. In the King James Version states, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 6 states, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That was James chapter 1 verses 2 through 6 in the NLT version. Going back to the King James version, let's go to James chapter 2 verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So my people, please encourage me as I encourage you to not allow our emotions to consume us, but to have faith in our God and his works and in his will. Clearly knowing that all that will be done by both him and us is for the uplifting and betterment of his chosen people's unity remembrance of his truths 
and return to his loving arms and protection. Welcome to episode six. All honor, glory, and praises be unto the Most High, our nourisher, our sustainer, the source of all strength. This is a Brother with a Bible podcast, and I am your host, Brother B. With all that's been happening in the world lately, my spirit has been very vexed. And I didn't want to put out any type of negative energy because my main focus and purpose is to put out a message that's inspiring and enlightening and that you can clearly hear the Most High through. Last Friday evening, while on Zoom in video conference with some of the men of the church I attend, a brother spoke on the topic of family. Some of the things he spoke of convicted me. Not going into too much detail, this brother has suffered a great loss a few months ago, but his faith hasn't wavered and is focused on ensuring that his family knows the multitude of the love he has for them couldn't help but to convict him, and I'm sure everyone else. One thing that he said that stood out to me is, your family should never feel as if a friend loves them more than you, their family. Now I know that some friends are like family. Some friends have even been adopted as family in certain households, and that's great. But the point he made is very valid, and I understand exactly where he's coming from. Sometimes we turn to friends instead of family for a variety of different reasons. But when those friends are no longer friends, where does that leave us? Friends may come and go, but family will always be family, immediate or extended. The very next night, my wife and I received a call that surprised and saddened us. Her cousin, my friend, passed unexpectedly. I coupled these with the fact that we have relatives that have fart cancer and are currently fighting cancer. We have relatives that have lupus, diabetes, some battle depression. With that, Y'all inspired me to focus not on the turmoil of the world so closely that I'm not focused on why I began this podcast. So I apologize for my selfishness and welcome you to episode six, Does Family Matter? In this episode, we just wanted to have a basic discussion on family. In light of what's been happening in our country socially, the our story, not his story, segment of this episode reflects on the Orangeburg Massacre. The focal scripture for this episode will come from Leviticus chapter 19 verses 17 and 18. We'll be reading out of the King James Version and the NLT Version for clarity and understanding. As usual, we invite you to sit back, relax, and engage in our discussion. But first, let us pray. Almighty and our glorious Father, 
who dwells inside and outside of us. Most High God, you are the Supreme Creator. With 10,000 tongues, I couldn't praise you enough. You've blessed us with the breath of life, allowing us to see this day. You've given us the use of all limbs on our bodies and blessed us with the right frame of mind. I pray to you, Most High, asking for the spiritual strength to deny my flesh. Deny my flesh from the emotion of anger. Deny my flesh from hardening my heart. Deny my flesh from speaking anything outside of life. I humbly come to you, Father, asking for protection for my people. Send legions of angels to form a hedge of protection around my nation, around your chosen people. Allow us to breed peace and love for each other. For with all of the enemies of these other nations and people, we cannot, we must not be enemies amongst ourselves. Father, I ask of you to heal the hearts of those who've suffered the loss of loved ones. Restore the faith of those who struggle. Direct those who are in search of themselves and their purpose. Allow us all to walk with Yeshua, to know him for ourselves, and to direct others to him through our examples. Bless us with the wisdom and discernment that we need. But above all, bless us with understanding. Allow us to understand your word, the scriptures, and bless us with the understanding to correctly follow what you deem as righteous and not what man customs and deems traditional. Give us the strength to fight the spiritual warfare. Acts of you, Yah, to bind and rebuke all spirits, entities, and deities that come to rob us and destroy our joys and peace and our securities. I come to you, Most High, praying to create new marriages and strengthen existing ones. I pray to you, Father Yah, to establish more households and unite existing ones. I pray to you, Father Almighty, that you protect our youth for the, from the corruption of this world and safely lead them to Christ. And to the generations yet to be born, I pray that we as a people, as your people, prepare to invite them into this world as we birth them in your word. We as believers do believe that you are the most high God. None is above you. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in your only begotten son and whose name we ask of these things by Yahshua. Christ, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Our Story, Not His Story segment of this episode reflects upon the Orangeburg Massacre. In Orangeburg, South Carolina, on the night of February 8th, 1968, a civil rights protest at South Carolina State University turned deadly 
after highway patrolmen opened fire on about 200 unarmed black student protesters. Three young men were shot and killed, and 28 people were wounded. The event became known as the Orangeburg Massacre and is one of the most violent episodes of the Civil Rights Movement, yet it remains one of the least recognized. After the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, segregation had officially ended in much of the South, but it hadn't changed the attitudes of some of the white citizens, and many blacks were still persecuted and discriminated against by whites. Harry Floyd, owner of All-Star Bowling Triangle Bowling Alley in Orangeburg, Carolina, was one such person. He claimed his bowling alley was exempt from segregation laws since it was privately owned. But Orangeburg's black community was determined to change his mind. Orangeburg was the site of two mostly black universities, South Carolina State and Claflin University. This put that town in the unique position of having more educated blacks than some other southern states. Many students became involved in the civil rights movement and were determined to turn the tide of racism within their small town and beyond. Now, local black leaders tried several times to convince Floyd to integrate his bowling alley. He refused time and time again, stating that it would offend his longtime clientele. On February 5th, a small group of students from both universities went to the bowling alley to protest its whites-only policy. Floyd refused them entry, and they left peacefully. The next night, a larger crowd returned to the bowling alley and were met by police who threatened to blast them with water from fire hoses. The students fought back by taunting them and lighting matches. A plate glass window was broken, and the police began beating students, male and female alike, with billy clubs. Governor Robert McNair, supposedly one of the more moderate governors of the Deep South at that time, insisted black power leaders were inciting the student unrest and called in the National Guard, tanks and all, to intimidate the students. The student protesters were joined by Cleveland Sellers, a native of South Carolina and a civil rights activist. After graduating from Howard University in 1967, Sellers had returned to South Carolina with the goal of teaching students about black history. This put him on the governor's radar and earned him a reputation as a black militant. By Thursday, the 8th, Sellers had hundreds of students gathered on South Carolina State's campus to protest racial segregation at the bowling alley and other privately owned establishments. The National Guard and law enforcement was present to keep the protesters on campus and prevent them from inciting a riot. The students started a large bonfire in front of the campus entrance. They taunted police officers also. Eventually, Chief Storm ordered the fire be put out. As firefighters extinguished the fire, a police officer was struck with a heavy wooden banister. Unsure of what was happening and claiming to have heard gunshots, 
Some police raised their guns and opened fire in the darkness upon the protesters for several rounds. Three students were shot and killed by the police. Freshman Sammy Hammond was shot in the back. 17-year-old high school student Delano Middleton, whose mother worked at South Carolina State, was shot seven times. And 18-year-old Henry Smith was shot three times. At least 28 protesters were shot and wounded, mostly in the back or side as they fled the assault. Sellers was shot in the armpit. Sellers was taken into custody at the hospital and charged with inciting a riot. Chief Storm claimed Sellers took advantage of America's fear of black power and fired up students who would never have staged resistance on their own. Governor McNair also blamed the incident on black power agitators. The Orangeburg Massacre was widely ignored by the press. In addition, the press coverage it did get was false and incorrect. For instance, the Associated Press initially reported that the student protesters had been armed, fired first, and exchanged gunfire with police. The black community was appalled at the slaughter and the bad press. Many took to the streets in protests and demonstrated in South Carolina's capital, Columbia. You can find this story and its entirety at thehistorychannel.com. The focal scripture for this episode comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 17 through 18. We'll be reading from the King James Version, and then I'll come back with the NLT Version for more clarity and understanding. The King James Version reads, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The NLT reads, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Does family matter? I know people's first instinct is to say yes. Some may even get offended by the question. But let's really look into this. At any given time, we can be, as the older generations say, called home. With this in mind, I sit back and reflect on my youth. Days of no responsibility other than cleaning my room and getting good grades in school. I grew up in a small town in Assumption Parish here in Louisiana named Bertranville. Bertrand as my Uncle Pitt calls it. This is a close-knit black community where everyone was basically family in some way. If it wasn't by blood, is by older generations of different families being raised together. We basically were raised with cousins or siblings and did everything together on a daily basis. 
I can remember us playing football behind the church next to the graveyard. I can remember us playing in a wooded area that we called Hollywood, even though I still don't know how it got that name. I can remember us going to L.A.s to get some candy and cold drinks, or to Missy Nola for Dixie Cups, or Mr. Ivory for pecan candy. What I can't remember is, when did we grow so distant? I can't remember when did those bonds sever. I can't remember when the world grabbed all of our attention. I look back at the last three cousins I've lost. Blue, Manny, and Contrell. I can clearly remember all of the time we spent together as youths, but share no memories with them as an adult. I have what were once close cousins, and now I don't even know their kids' names. Out of everyone who's listening, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has become distant with some family, whether it be from a disagreement, a fight, a belief, a spouse, or a status. Nothing should be harbored in our hearts that would keep us from being family. And the sad part is most of the time, we don't even realize we've unintentionally separated ourselves from loved ones. But for those of you who do realize you've done this, shame on you. Yeah, I know this may be up for debate and rightfully so, but unless your family is pulling you out of the will of God, causing you to go against the word of God, causing you to backslide or relapse, or completely destroying your peace and mental health, what excuse do you have for not showing love and support for them? What excuse do you have for not being in each other's lives as you once were, as you were raised to be? How did you go from being thick as thieves to all in water? Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 in the NLT reads, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We all may have friends from our childhood, friends from middle school or high school, and these friends have become family. And that's a wonderful thing for bonds to be formed so strong that you consider them like a brother, or like a sister, or like a cousin. In some cases, people are considered second mothers, or uncles, or aunts. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people speaking, he was like a father to me. Once again, this is a wonderful thing to have someone that loves you so much that your pain is their pain. Your joy is their joy. They celebrate you and your special moments and memories. God has truly blessed you with someone genuine. And this part of this discussion does not refer or reflect upon them. There are friends that are family. But what about when we force family to go to friends as family? 
Let's be completely honest on this issue. At times, we don't treat family like family. We can be judgmental. We can be arrogant. We can be dismissive. And in some cases, we can be downright hateful, whether you want to admit it or not. We can treat those we were raised with like outsiders, turning them into the black sheep of the family with no reason and no consent. Those family members deserve the same love and attention you crave. But when the affection isn't given by the family, some tend to turn the friends and associates. We've basically forced them to turn to friends as family. Those friends in return share the emotions and events and connections that were meant to be shared as family, by family. Problem is, not all friends are true friends. What seems good today can be bad tomorrow. When problems, issues, and burdens are laid upon the wrong ears, they usually end up being used as ammunition for an assault upon the very person that came to them looking for a peace of mind. But only after that family member has been exhausted of their time, their money, and favors with those unrighteous friends, then we have the nerves to open our mouths and criticize, voicing our opinion, when in reality, we are partially at fault. Because siblings don't want the responsibility of being siblings. Family don't want the responsibility of being family. It seems easier to fight and to gossip than to openly discuss what's bothering us, what we see as the problem, and collectively find ways to resolve it without someone feeling attacked or getting in their feelings, then shutting down or separating themselves from family altogether. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, in the NLT version, reads, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I feel that this is very vital in order to keep a family's unity stored. Understand this. We may have some family that are just needy. But look at your life and your journey your evolution, then clearly see that you are blessed with the means mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to help provide them with some type of comfort during their storms. Continual storms call for continual prayer and open and honest talks. No one should ever feel as if they are an outsider within their own family. And we all are accountable for any words, any actions or any thoughts that may have made any family feel that way. The book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 31, in the NLT version reads, Do to others as you would like them to do to you. It seems as if the family is dying with the passing of our elders. How many of us visit grandma? like we did when grandpa was alive, or vice versa pertaining to grandparents. 
how many still go to grandma's house or mama's house to eat on Sunday? When was your last family reunion? When was the last time you celebrated anything as a family outside of birthday parties? And even then, you only invite certain people. Or it's just the same people that even come. As a whole, we can honor these man-made holidays faithfully each year, but don't put in the same effort to start and keep family traditions. Aren't you tired of only getting together for weddings and funerals? Even if we were to break down the year into four quarters, every three months a family outing or event should be scheduled. This would cover all four seasons so events can vary and bring a closeness and unity back to the family structure as a whole. Keep in mind, this was never an issue years ago because we had leaders within the family. So ask yourself, who's the glue that holds the family together now? Who's stepping up now that grandparents, parents, uncles, and aunts are older now and can't push the family as they once did? And really ask yourself, how can the next generation's family leaders flourish with no examples of family leaders in this generation. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 in the NLT reads, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, some see the scripture as only being for fellowship within the church building. But keep in mind, one, you are the church, not the building. And two, how can you set an example of fellowship with others and can't successfully fellowship with your own family? Family, we got to get back to the way we were. When there was only one bite. You rode on the handlebars while your sibling pedaled because you never left each other behind. When we asked mama for 50 cent to make sure that if you had a quarter Dixie cup, your cousin had a quarter Dixie cup too. When we sat on the porch talking and laughing for hours. So again, I posed the question, does family matter or does your family matter? By this I mean, and I hope this doesn't come across too harshly, but have you sacrificed or abandoned your family for your immediate family? Is your concern only with those in your current household, opposed to those in the households you were born, grew up, and raised in? This is a question that only you, the listeners, can answer, but I pray that you all if you hadn't already, reunite with family and get back to loving on, caring about, and spending time with your people before we are called home. Almighty and our glorious Father, we thank you for the gift of family. And for those that are distant from their families, Father, we pray that you create a union within them once again. We thank you, Father, for your love and for your compassion, Almighty and our glorious Father. Thank you for the journeys we've traveled, Father. 
Thank you for overcoming all trials and all tribulations, Almighty and our glorious Father. For it's written that we should count it all joy, knowing that the trying of our faith worketh patience. Just as it's also written, tribulation worketh patience. So we thank you, Father, for every situation you've placed us in and every situation you've taken us out of. We thank you, Father, for everyone you've placed in our lives and everyone you've taken out of our lives for both serve as a purpose as we give you glory, Father, for our lessons learned as they contributed to our spiritual growth and helped us on our walk with you. I ask of you, Almighty and our glorious Father, to bless everyone under the sound of my voice and everyone under the sound of their voices. And if there's anyone who don't know you, who doesn't know Yahshua, who doesn't know Christ, I ask of you, Almighty and our powerful Father, to prick their hearts, prepare them to find and accept you. And I ask of you, Almighty and our powerful Father, to allow us as your believers, as your followers, to direct them to you. If anything that I've said is an error, I ask of you to please correct me, Almighty and our glorious Father. I pray these things in Yahshua's name. Amen. If what you heard from us was a blessing to you, bless someone else by sharing this with your friends, your family, co-workers, and church members at A Brother With A Bible Podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and be sure to share our page. Shouts out to everyone who has given us likes and comments on our post. Thank all of you. All of your encouragement is needed, accepted, and definitely appreciated. We also thank you for your new follows. This is Brother B, and as always, in all that you do, make sure that it's in your purpose rather than on purpose. And remember, you'll know your true worth when you research. And before we end this, we want to give love out to the Robinson family, the Thomas families of Clinton, Louisiana. We want to give love out to the Williams family, the Johnsons, the Joneses, the Skidmores, and all of Bertrandville, Louisiana, and those in Belrose and the rest of Assumption Parish. Don't forget to love on someone today, fam. Peace.